You know, Don, sometimes I think that the Tinker Toy Company built all of our equipment here with an aid and an assist from the Erector Set Corporation. Look <laughs> it up there. If I had the wings of an angel... We don't have time for this chance. Just cut that banal stuff. It's Friday. It's Friday. That title and thing. That title and thing. Excuse me here. I know. Get my Hogan twanger out here, will you? If I had the wings. What is that word? I can't remember the words to that song. If I had the wings of, uh... Oh, shucks, it's right on the tip of my nose. If I had the wings of, uh... If I had... I can't think of it right now. Of course, it's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. Uh, Don, would you please... Do the honors there. Please bring it up there. We've got to celebrate coming back here. I'm still in the state of euphoria. Here we go. After you've gone <laughs> and left me crying. After you've gone, there's no denying. You feel blue, papado. You feel sad. Ah, and you're going to miss the greatest man that you done ever had. Oh, there come a time. And don't you forget it There'll come a time ba 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 When you regret it Someday Someday when you are When you are lonely Your heart will break like mine And you'll want me only After you've gone ba ba After you've gone Away All together gang Now bring it up Let's go It's Friday Let's make it sound Let's sing it out After you've gone and let me cry after you've gone. I'm going to dedicate this to Martha Dean. There's no denying. You'll feel blue. Or you'll feel sad. You'll miss the greatest man that you've done ever had. Oh, there'll come a time. Ba, 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 ba. And don't forget it. There'll come a time when you'll regret it. Someday. Someday when you are, when you are lonely, your heart will break like mine and you'll want me only. After you've gone, after you've gone, it's too late away. All right, that's enough of that for a while there. I just did that in... Uh, in response to innumerable, innumerable requests, there were five. And uh, <laughs> one kid says, I can't get to sleep until you've sung after you've gone. He says, and then instantly I'm asleep. So uh, just hang around there. You know, I, I, uh, I've been going back through this mountain of mail. You know, when you've, when you've gone, one of the great things about going on a trip is coming back and wading through all the junk mail. All the stuff that accrues in the weeks that you've been gone, and uh, all the all the—it's kind of like elephant dandruff that drifts down 
monster dandruff, actually, that drifts down through the good offices of the Postal Department. It slowly seeps in under the doors, and there's a great drift. I, I, I have a suspicion that, among other things, this age is going to be known as the age of junk mail. Uh, as much as anything else, <laughs> I mean, really junk mail. These these fly-by-night outfits that want to lend you money, you know, on your signature only. These outfits that want to sell you insurance uh, for all kinds of strange ailments. Uh, <laughs> the outfits that want to make you into a dynamic human dynamo. Uh, all these things slowly beginning to... And in fact, I think uh, when when I was out at the fair here a couple of days ago, and uh, I was looking at the time capsule. And of course, uh, like all time capsules, I have a feeling that time capsules are so fantastically self-conscious. Uh, they, they don't really put the stuff in that marks an age, that marks the time and the place. I think one letter, one of these fold-out letters, you know, that comes from Procter & Gamble, how many of those do you get a week? One fold-out thing that says occupant. Apartment 7G. <laughs> That's all it is. And inside it's a save 10 cents on a new box of clean or something like that, you know. And, and this is true junk mail. Miles and miles and acres and acres and tons and tons. And I'm going through all my junk mail so I'm trying to clear off my desk. And in the middle of it all, I find my favorite newspaper, which I have not talked about for a long time. Strangely enough, it is also Peggy Fitzgerald's favorite newspaper. Uh, I don't know what the psychological tie-in there is. I'll never forget one night, Ed is talking to uh, Peggyn on the air. And, you know, Ed, uh, one thing about Ed, Ed is the master of the throwaway barb, which is never heard by Peggyn. She just goes right on about the cat. She never hears it, you know. And Ed all the while is throwing harpoons from across the room and getting her in the liver, and she doesn't know it. She just goes, oh, yeah, yeah, she goes on. She goes right on. She said, she said one day, I'm listening, and she says, you know, Ed, she says, I just went out to Hearts Island. Uh, this is where they have all these, yeah, Heart, Heart Island, Hearts Island, the place where they have all the guys in the can out there. It's a jug, you know that place? And she says, I just went out there, and she says, I did a benefit there, made an appearance out there, and there were 1,500 men in jail out there. And Ed said, that must have been great for you. You must have loved that. And uh, she went right on. <laughs> she says, yes, Ed, there were 1,500 men in jail there. Yes, Ed. And, and Ed says, gee, I bet you had fun there. But you loved that. And she went right on sailing like a ship into uncharted seas, never hearing a word of it. And uh, I heard a couple of days later that she also is a fan of this wild newspaper, which, by the way, is published by the state pen of one of the New England states just north of us. This is their monthly newspaper. And it's a trade journal. You know, after all, it's, it's uh, printed in the pokey. And uh, the guys in the pokey have got one thing in common, their trade. And uh, it's like all other trade journals. It sticks pretty much to, you know, gossip about the industry. <laughs> and, uh, and here, here, for example, is, a, is, a, uh, is an item on the front page. Uh, I, I, I had not seen this item in any other newspaper, and that's why I read it, because you get some great stuff out of what's happening in the netherworld, you know, the underbelly of civilization. Guys that are so, uh, so much nonconformist that they wind up by, you know, putting them in a pen. That's it. They just, <laughs> they just take them away. After all, that's what a guy is that's uh, in the slam. You know, they finally decided he ain't, uh, you know, he ain't fit to walk around. So they just throw him in the pokey. So here's their newspaper. 
And the front page, here's a little item there. It says, uh, at the Richmond County Jail, guards had to use tear gas to get prisoners back to their cells. They insisted on watching the TV program to its completion. And the jailer said that it was lockup time. And the show wasn't over yet. The warden of the jail said, cells or tear gas. The prisoners stood their ground. The warden shot two canisters of tear gas into the TV room. And the prisoners went to their cell. What was the program they were watching? Fugitive. This is a true, true bet, you know. Uh, you can see. You. I wonder what side they were on. I, I read, and as a matter of fact, I read a couple of months ago. They had a piece about that very point. They, they, they talked about the prisoners, and, and the editor was deploring this. He says, you know, it's terrible. He says it's a little depressing to go into the TV room and hear all this cheering and yelling, and they've just cheered uh, Greasy Thumb Gusick, who is on the tear and has just gunned down four cops, and there's a loud cheer. Go, Greasy! Right, right. <laughs> he says, after all, man, we're here to get straight with society. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I like to read trade journals. And uh, my favorite my favorite uh, part of this paper here, I never miss it, is their gossip column. Well, they've got a gossip column. They have their version of Earl Wilson. And if you think, if you think that, uh, that Damon Runyon created great names... In, do- in Guys and Dolls, you remember the, remember the, uh, the whole, the, or is that Damon Runyon? Yeah, Damon Runyon, Guys and Dolls. Listen to some of these names in their uh, gossip column. Uh, let's see. Cuckoo McDonald says that if he doesn't hear from his wife by Easter Day, it is all over. I've been as patient as I can be, says Cuckoo. After all, 18 years is a long time to wait. This is better than anything Earl Wilson ever does. Listen to this one. Dan, the philosopher, Cotner, says, There is no problem so big or so complex that you can't run away from it. That's Dan, the philosopher. George the Bull Pinto is on a candy kick. Every time he sees it, he whistles. Why do they call Frank Lucas Peter Rabbit? Joe Loverboy McDonald, when interviewed concerning his popularity, said, I'm just charming. That's all. This is what's going on in the pokey. Listen to this great name, Ralph the Rash. I mean, <laughs> Ralph the Rash de Macy. Here's another one. Let's see. You want to hear some more of these great names? Vinny Astronaut, the Dell. Ronnie Yum Yum. It's kind of a nice name there. So, uh, I'm sitting here, uh, Keeping up with my uh, my trade papers, you never know, you know. I never know. <laughs> it uh, you know it's it's funny. I I once knew a guy though. It's a sad fact of the of the matter. I knew a guy that got involved in income tax, and uh, he got a big hullabaloo with income tax. And the next thing, uh, he is in Atlanta, and uh, he's down there on an extended two-year vacation. Don, and, uh, oh yes, he felt that he could lose weight and everything down. He felt it was going to be a good thing. He'd lose, he'd get rid of his nervousness. He said, I'll get rid of my nervousness and I'll relax for two years. Well, he went down there. <laughs> and believe it or not, uh, he, he, of course, he was in on an income tax wrap. And he wound up down in Atlanta and they have a prisoner's fund 
That's some kind of a deal down there where the prisoners uh, pay little monies, you know, for their shows and all that stuff. And and if they if they finally uh, make enough money, they finally save enough money, the prisoners fund. Then they have a party, or they'll have some kind of a big Christmas thing, and so on. So my friend, who was famous for his income tax dealings and was a famous uh, triple entry accountant, was given the job by the other other prisoners to be the treasurer of. I don't have to tell you what happened. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. It was a funny bit. But uh, now that I'm back, uh, now that I'm back here in, in the States and I'm, I'm walking around, I see things have not changed very much. Um, in fact, I, I, uh, somebody sent me a little clipping here. It's Friday night. It's from Dover, England. It says the Reverend Vivian Hyde, Anglican vicar of St. Bartholomew's in Dover, was quoted as suggesting recently that his parishioners join him at the pub after Sunday services to get rid of the dreadful dullness of Sunday. And uh, <laughs> there's a certain reality about Englishmen. And I wanted to use that bit as a lead-in to the peculiar kind of reality that you find in countries, other English-speaking countries, other than America. Uh, I don't know what it is about America. I don't know what there is in the air. Uh, we are the great dreamers of the world. Uh, we really believe, you know, oh, oh, the American. That's why we're, we're uh, everywhere you look, there's an American now demonstrating. You know, he's got a big sign that says, for shame. Or he's got one that says, how long? Or he's got a sign that says, when? That kind of thing. Because all Americans really secretly dream that a genuine utopia is possible. But it's only rotten people that's preventing it from coming around. You know, just the rotten ones. They all secretly feel that everything can get straightened out. That, uh, that all the mess can be cleared up. Get the rascals out and it'll be cleared up. <laughs> really, we, we're, the only, we're the only people in the world who feel that way. Now, you only know this when you get outside of America. And, uh, people, and you hear people talk about world events. And they talk about them in a very different way than Americans do. There, and now, are they cynical or are they realistic? Are we idealists or are we bubbleheads? Uh, <laughs> or are we just plain dreamers? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm walking through Times Square the other day and there's at least 15 different committees working on different sides of the street, you know, handing out pamphlets, get out of Vietnam, uh, negotiate now, a peace in our time. You know, and they're all out there, there's about 15 different crowds all handing these things out. And, of course, their whole premise is, uh, apparently, most of them, is that our government, our people, all the people in America are the ones that are lousing up world peace and beauty all over the world. This is, you, you've, you've seen this happening. It never occurs to them that... Uh, that it's man they're talking about. It's a condition of man itself, you know. And when you get out into a place like Australia, you, you walk around in the boondocks out in Australia, uh, and they're only about an hour and a half from Indonesia. <laughs> you know, they, they really are. Uh, they have a totally different view of the entire situation. And it's not, the, it's not a pessimistic view, not at all. It's a kind of realistic view that says, well, that's the way it is. Now, you, you find it's a curious view, and you keep you, you want to shake them, and you say, well, wait, what do you mean that's the way it is? Just think of the future. Why don't we sit down and talk it over? 
Why don't we sit down and have a summit conference and talk it all out? And then we will all march together as fellow human beings to that beautiful, that beautiful utopia that is possible to all of us. They just look at you and take another pull on their gin bottle. And they grin, you know. <laughs> I had one Australian, you know, one Australian who, by the way, was a jet fighter pilot in his spare time. He was a member of the Australian Air Reserve, and he flew jet planes. And uh, when you fly jet planes in Australia, you know, you come awful close to some pay dirt. Uh, you really do, you know. This is not flying over New Jersey. When you're flying over, over the Coral Sea and all around the Tasman Sea, there's all kinds of strange aircraft in the air there. And in fact, even once in a while, a little puff of ack-ack, you know, somebody takes a pot shot when you're just going around. And, and I, and I was talking to him about that and I said, you know, I said, Bruce, uh, gee, uh, you know, it's, it's just a shame that the, that the world is in such a, such a mess that it seems like every 20 years uh, it, it develops like a giant boil and it just comes to a head and it pops. That's all. You know, it's just a terrible thing. And if, if we can only uh, decide to become rational and blah, blah, blah. And he smiled for one, didn't say anything. He says, you know, he says, you sure, he says, you sure talk like an American. <laughs> Speaking of bubbleheads, this is WOR AM at FM New York. Do you have the money button there, Donald? Please hit it there for us. Light up a Kent, you've got a good thing going. Good taste, real, real mild. Good tobaccos. Oh, so mellow. Vintage tobaccos, flavor blended to the peak of enjoyment. And the Kent filter for extra good taste. Light up with Kent, you've got a good thing going. Kent is the one cigarette for everyone who smokes. Light up with Kent, you've got a good thing going. Light up with Kent, for real good taste. Light up with Kent, you've got a good thing going. Good tobaccos, the Kent filter for good A good thing going when you light up a Kent, light up a Kent. Here's Frankie Lane. It's McLean's toothpaste. It cleans with a new kind of taste that is wild. time you try to swing a new toothpaste that gets teeth irresistibly white, McLean's has a taste that's so lively, so dazzling, you can actually feel it white. Your whole mouth feels refreshed and invigorated. Come on now, try new McLean's. You'll dig it. It's McLean's, the toothpaste that cleans with a new kind of taste that is a wild. Yeah! What a taste, what a zing. When you smile, all the bells will ring. Get a white there goes Frankie Lane selling bullwhips again. <laughs> when will it ever stop? That's one of the silliest spots I've ever heard. In the middle of it all, uh, in the middle of it all, Don McLean, the engineer, turns to me while that was playing, and Frankie Lane was, Ah, McLean, ah! 
you know, with a bullwhip. Don, Don grins at me with that great big Don McLean tusk grin to show me that his teeth are also swinging. In fact, to prove it to me, he moved them back and forth with his tongue and flipped them out and clacked them a little bit. <laughs> Oh, man, this is a weird world, isn't it? <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, one thing about about the American commercial. You should have heard him singing about about Pepsi-Cola. You should have heard him. No, yeah, no, it was double mint gum. You should have heard him singing about double mint gum in Bangkok. And uh, I don't know quite how it sounded translated, but it was the same tune. They were going, <laughs> and they were singing about doubling your pleasure. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know what a Bangkokian thinks in terms of when he wants to double his pleasure, but I'm sure it ain't chewing gum. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if you could double your pleasure by buying a, a, a stick of double mint gum? You know, double your everything. Holy smokes! And and I I knew this funny thing. Um, you, you really you you begin to have a strange perverse affection for the nuttiness of your own country. You really do. Uh, we we have a tendency, you know, to put our country down. We like to think our country is the nuttiest of all countries. This is a, a great illusion uh, on the part of almost all the commentators I know. This most of the guys I know who do commenting, you know, about the world, and I know many of them have never really been anywhere. Really, they think a trip to Miami is a long trip. Uh, they think that the time they went to Pittsburgh, they really learned about it, you know. <laughs> and, and it's, it's uh, you, you really begin to understand that man is a really fascinating, paradoxical, nutty creature when you travel around the world and see man. Not just Americans or, or uh, Indians or Englishmen, but just mankind. I don't think there's a country on the face of the globe. You know, most of the of the humorous, including a lot of the stuff I do, I'll be frank with you and admit that I'm guilty of it too, most of the humorous base their work. I'm talking about the satirists who, you know, work in commenting around on our time and uh, the, you know, the, the Mort Saul syndrome. Most of the, the humorous base what they do on the paradoxes in any given society. You know, uh, they, they'll put up a big sign that says peace through understanding out at the World's Fair. And right under the big sign, peace through understanding, there are eight uh, pavilions that are leaving the fair in a huff, you know. And, and 17 other pavilions are being picketed by 15 other pavilions. And above it all is a big sign that says peace through understanding. Uh, that is the paradox. That is the paradox, which really is the difference between what man says he is and what man really is. Uh, we have, a, you know, we have an idea. We're, we're fantastically beautiful creatures, and on the other hand, we keep doing the stuff we do. Well, humor consists of pointing these out. Uh, I remember standing on a street in East Berlin, uh, and they were having a peace parade. Well, a peace parade consists of forty-eight thousand guys goose-stepping, wearing uh, tin hats, <laughs> carrying Mauser rifles, and the drums and these feet are going clump, 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 clump. And they have big signs that say, Oh, V is for peace over all us. Well, I mean, you know, this was pretty funny. I, I, mean, I thought that was the funniest peace parade I'd seen in a long time. I hang around Times Square, and I see people who are advocating uh, 
were advocating, let's bring some sense to international relations. And the way they do it is by hitting each other and yelling and hollering police brutality every time a cop shows up on the corner. You know, ah, police brutality. <laughs> and this is the kind of paradoxical behavior that I think is the basis of humor. Now, I, I must point out that of all the countries that I have traveled to in the last two or three years, the most paradoxical of all, it would be a fantastic uh feeding ground for humorists, if they really could get up the guts to do it in this country, is Australia. Australia is a, is a wildly uh, uh, divergent country in the sense uh, the people are very different from what they say they are. Uh, on the one hand, they have very strict uh, laws about obscenity. You know, did you know this, Don? Oh, the, the strictest anywhere that I've ever seen in my life. They look through your luggage when you come into this country with a fine-tooth comb, and if you've got a copy of Playboy, forget it. I mean, little things like that. A copy of uh, The Group by Mary McCarthy. I talked about that last night. They'll, they'll t I, the guy ahead of me was an American, and he had a copy of that that book confiscated, you know, and all of a sudden he felt real crummy and rotten. Here, you know, just a best-selling book. You know? <laughs> well, on the other hand, do you know that they have more uh, what what you could call deviant clubs, openly operating right in the middle of their uh, Rialto, right in the middle of their showbiz district, than any other major city in the world. This is a fact. Uh, <laughs> and so you know, you, you, you know, what, what, what do they stand for? Which which uh, which thing is uh, is the real thing there? On the one hand, all the people that I talked to were talking about censorship and about the the lady chatterley they're all talking about lady chatterley there you know a couple of years ago that was a big issue in america if you recall that lady chatterley's lover uh and it was a uh, a year or two before that or was it after that it was a big deal in england they had a big thing and they finally came to a decision there in a court decision and they declared it was art and it wasn't was not obscenity well do you know what is being uh, sold under the counter in Australia right now, not Lady Chatterley's lover, but the transcript of the trial, the English trial about Lady Chatterley's. They call it the Lady Chatterley trial, and it's a book. It's a transcript of the court proceedings, and it is illegal to have a copy of it in Australia. The court proceedings, not the book, the court proceedings. And and so <laughs> while I was in, in Sydney there, they were talking on the radio and uh, I could hear all these different people calling up and guys having panel discussions about that issue. Now, wh what was so curious about it was that hearing them talk, they were all against censorship, but they were all for keeping Lady Chatterley's lover off the stands. Now, what were they for? I couldn't figure out. <laughs> you know, it was so, so interesting to hear that. They were against censorship, but they didn't want Lady Chatterley's lover to be sold. Uh, which meant they really were for a censorship, but then they really weren't. So you couldn't tell what they were for, actually. And when I went to uh, went to parties, uh, oh, people wrote to me, have been writing me and says, didn't you find anything good about Australia? Oh, yeah, of course. I, I, I think Australia is one of the mo most wildly interesting countries I've ever seen in my life. Fantastically interesting country. But one of the things that makes it so interesting are these these dichotomies, you know, these splits between uh, between what they say they believe in and what actually happens there. 
Uh, I went down through their, uh, well, you might call their, uh, oh, like their version of Times Square, which is on a street. It's called King's Cross in Sydney. It's like uh, Times Square. It's a little with about three or four major uh, streets come together, and there's a lot of Chinese restaurants and shows and, and so on there. And, and I'm walking along the street there, and, I, and I, was, I was struck by one thing. There were more outright, what you could call truly obscene shows, running right there. And everybody's just walking around. Wild stuff. I mean, there it is. And, and nobody says a word about it. On the other hand, do you know that Playboy, which is just a little, you know, comparatively an innocent magazine, this little fold-out is about as, is about as uh, offensive as a garage calendar. You know, it reminds me, I'm afraid, in spite of the fact I write for Playboy, their center fold-out reminds me very much of the yearly calendar from Ed's Garage in Stores, Vermont. You know, that's the kind of stuff it is. And they do not allow that in the country. On the other hand, the clubs... And here's the fascinating part of it. Uh, here was this club running, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there with, with a, a, uh, a man who was a judge, by the way, uh, and a publisher. And there was another man uh, who was a very distinguished uh, type uh, from the TV world there. He was a general manager from TV stations. And uh, they said, uh, how, about, how about what's going out and having a little Sydney's nightlife? And I said, well, gee, that would be interesting. And so uh, 20 minutes later, I am in this club with these guys. Now, uh, they're there with their wives, and it's a very, very official group. You know, we're all going out to enjoy nightlife. What do you think we went to? Well, do you know, <laughs> do you know these transvestite reviews? That's what I'm talking about. That is the biggest thing in Sydney. There are about 10 of them running full blast. And they range all the way, all the, the entire, the entire, uh, you might say the entire spectrum of it. And I'm talking about, wow, you talk about Bloomingdale, fantastic. And I'm sitting there and this stuff is going on. And everybody's sitting there talking. And later we get in the car and that we're driving. And it's a very distinguished looking group. You know, we have seen this insane show. Nobody talks anything about it. We drive a little bit. And they get on the subject of censorship. And uh, the, the, the man who was in front, he was very, very much in favor of them keeping uh, that kind of terrible stuff out of Australia to uh, work away at the morals of the young, that kind of thing like Mary McCarthy's The Group. <laughs> and here is the kicker. In this club, there were at least 30 or 40 kids that I would assume were no more than 13 or 14 watching this show. So I couldn't, I couldn't figure out, you know, which... So uh, I, I, you know, I, I made a little mention of this on the way. I said, you know, that was a pretty peculiar show we just saw there. So, oh, wasn't it charming? They wasn't charming. <laughs> you got another little, uh, little, little uh, goodie for us in there, Donald. Hit the button there. Fine. Let's go, man. Before the closing, so let's hear it. Let's see. Oh, it's National Tavern Month. Go out and get, you know, it's official this month, friends. Uh, the Miller Brewing Company, Brewers of Miller High Life, recognize the contribution of our friendly taverns to good living, good times, whoopee, and the finest in food and refreshment. Miller High Life salutes the taverns across the nation and again pledges in solemn pledge that the champagne of bottled beer will always be brewed to perfection. Only in Milwaukee to be sure that taverns can...
can serve the finest. So visit your friendly tavern during May and ask for Miller High Life, the beer that's brewed only in Milwaukee, the bottle beer that makes it all away. It's 110 years old, by the way, now. Okay, that's it. National Tavern Month. I had an uncle that celebrated it for 30 years. Have you ever seen a good fight in a tavern? You know, have you noticed that almost every Western uh, has a scene in a tavern where, or, or the uh, Silver Dollar Saloon where they're breaking the mirrors? You notice that where they're busting the mirror back at a bar, they're always throwing the chair through it or the bottle or they're shooting through it. Or, and then they wind up by breaking all the bottles that are lined up behind there and busting the bottles on the bar. Practically every Western has that scene. That scene is as classical a scene in the Western as the walk down. And nobody has talked about it as a classical scene. Part of that same classical scene is when the two guys are fighting on that little balcony that always overlooks. You know, have you noticed that every one of these uh, bar rooms has a balcony? With a breakaway, uh, <laughs> with a breakaway railing, see? Yeah, oh yeah, the little thing there. And that is the same balcony that Bell always comes out on. You know, Bell, uh, who is also classic. Well, you know Bell, the fallen woman with the heart of gold, who is the, uh, who owns the Silver Dollar Cafe and is in league with the sheep uh, rustlers. And she is always singing there at night. You know, you know that one. And she winds up by helping Gary Cooper. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Well, that's the, that's the balcony where it winds up. Always there's the big fight over which one of the guys topples and brings that railing down, and you see him go down. <laughs> well, uh, you know that, that I, uh, one, of the most, one of the most interesting uh, psychological papers I have ever read. Now, I'm not talking about psychiatric papers. I'm talking about a paper written by a student of psychology was the significance of the mirror and bottle breaking scene in the Western. The psychological and sexual significance of that scene in the classical Western movie. It is absolutely... You know, people watch... When, when you sit in a, in a movie house or when you watch on the old TV movies at night and you see these guys standing up to the bar you know you see old gary cooper you see you see uh, randolph scott and one of those guys you know and he's got his elbow on the bar there and you see coming you see old craig uh, or you see uh, blackie coming in you know the, the the bad guy and they walk up to the bar together and you see behind him that mirror you know that mirror is doomed and you wait for it. It, it. They build up the tension as to when that mirror is going to go. And there's always, have you noticed that all the bartenders behind these these bars are always neutral? Have you ever noticed that? That they that they never reach out and belt Gary Cooper on the head with a bottle. Nor do they ever hit Blackie on the head with a bottle. They're neutral. Now that is also significant too. Uh, and they are usually innocent men caught in the middle of a maelstrom. Uh, and they're usually fat. Uh, this is part of the bartender syndrome. They are fat. Well, not often. No, they don't always have mustaches, but they're usually heavy-set men of a phlegmatic nature. Now, uh, <laughs> I read this, this paper. In fact, I had a little more than just 
reading it to do with that paper. I'd like to have you guess who wrote the paper. But uh, this paper was on the significance of the mirror and the bottles in the classical western. And a couple of nights ago, I am watching a, a western, the usual western, and, and this one had Edward Arnold in the leading role of all people as the good guy in a western. And, of course, he was with the, 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 the lady with the heart of gold, and they were sitting there, and they had this fantastic mirror, and they had this bar that stretched for 30 feet, and they had all the bottles lined up, and they went on. Did you see that one where they were throwing the uh, the uh, trays? They had trays, and they were throwing the trays around in this thing, this place. It was one of the most complete delineations of that scene that I've ever uh, I've ever witnessed. And they busted the mirror, and they busted the bottles, and they busted the chandeliers, and they really didn't hurt each other. They busted up the place. Now. I think we all have underneath us, we all have an underlying urge, an underlying uh, hunger for destruction. I think uh, large numbers of us would like to stand on Park Avenue with a slingshot in front of the Seagram building. <laughs> I really do. I think, I think we, we can't escape it. We, we love that idea. Uh, we love the idea of... Now, we, w what we really do like is the idea, though, of destruction that does not hurt. Now, uh, we, we see an automobile accident where there's a tremendous crash and 18 people are, are cut up and killed. That kind of throws us. But the idea of taking BBs or taking, uh, uh, taking ball bearings and shooting them out of a slingshot at windows... Wow. You know, speaking of slingshots, uh, if there's any kids listening, the slingshot has practically disappeared from American life. Now, uh, there, there are all kinds of slingshots, and I'm talking about the real slingshot, you know, the kind with the Y, with the, with the yoke, with the handle, and with the two rubber bands, and with the, with the little leather pouch, you know, the... Well, I was in Germany last week, Don, and... Uh, and you, you walk down the streets in, in Germany and you look in the toy stores and you see some wildly fascinating things. And there was one toy store that had a complete collection of air rifles and air pistols. But I'm talking about good ones. I'm not talking about the little Red Rider type, you know, with the, with the compass and the stock and all that. I'm talking about real lethal weapons. Uh, the kind that looked like they cost about 75 bucks, you know, they're blue steel. And right in the middle of that, they had a majestic display of sporting and hunting and competition slingshots. I never saw them in my life. I saw a slingshot that, believe it or not, had a peep sight on it. Yes, sir. A, a, a blue steel slingshot that had these two long braided uh, rubber and plastic thongs that came back. I mean, it must have had a terrific uh, power to the thing. And it had a, a, a little a plaster, kind of plastic leather pouch that was all woven at the end of it. A very expensive piece of gear. And it had on the top of it a sight, some kind of a little sight that you, you, you looked at a peep sight, and the thing was a real killer slingshot, and it was for killing. It was for killing game. And I saw that thing, and I thought, holy smokes, uh, what, what a weapon that would make. 
What an evil weapon, and what, what a terrific gimmick that would make for a short mystery story. Uh, a short mystery story where, where they could not figure out what this insane weapon was that a guy was using, but it was a sporting competition uh, slingshot with a peep sight. I imagine you could get it fitted also with a telescopic sight if you want. Speaking of, uh, of uh, being in the sling here, we have a commercial here. Let's do it. It's for, uh, if you're going to make the uh, restaurant scene over the weekend, I would highly like to recommend a visit to Happiness. It's an excellent restaurant. And I'm sorry that uh, I've received all kinds of mail from people who missed our little party there before I went off to Australia. But Happiness is between 93rd and 94th Streets on Broadway. And it is a fine Chinese restaurant. And it really is a different kind. They serve the best dishes from Sichuan, Shanghai, Peking, and Canton. It's really gourmet food. And the prices are insanely moderate. You can get a fabulous 10-course dinner for just $2 and a quarter. And uh, it's unique. Not only that, uh, you, you have this 10-course dinner, and then you can eat as much as you want of it. That's two bucks and a quarter. It's a fantastic restaurant. It's served every day from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. and is an extremely pleasant restaurant. Uh, they serve a Hong Kong tea house luncheon every day from noon to 4.30, hors d'oeuvres and Chinese pastries and so on. At uh, uh, the, the lunch, you just wouldn't believe how cheap that is. Nevertheless, it's happiness, and they're open Sunday. It's a great place to take the kids to. They've got a bar. It's happiness between 93rd and 94th on Broadway. And we got another commercial here, too. Uh, it's another... They're having another sale, another warehouse sale of those luxury vinyls. A couple of uh, weeks ago, we had this on the show, and it was a terrific success. Uh, if, you're, if you've got a pad or if you're looking for this really expensive vinyl to do any special upholstering or anything around your pad, the Vinyl Fabrics Division of Leather Guild is inviting the public to come direct to the Leather Guild warehouse for tremendous bargains in odds and ends and closeouts and discontinued patterns of the finest vinyls made anywhere in the world. And many of them are just a dollar a yard now. They have a terrific assortment at just three ninety. Now, the Leather Guild Warehouse is at 52 East 21st Street. That's Leather Guild at 52 East 21st Street, Monday through Friday at 9 to 5. Okay? Oh, and one more thing, too. Uh, we are going to be live and swinging, vibrating and oscillating at the limelight tomorrow night. And if you would like to make a reservation, give them a call. Uh, it's right down on on Sheridan Square. And we start, the show starts at 5 minutes past 10. If you can't get down, we're on the air from 5 minutes past 10 to midnight. And the show actually starts in the limelight about 9.30. So uh, we're, we're there, we're live there tomorrow night. And if you if you want to make a reservation, give them a call and see about it. Incidentally, uh, even though they're usually all booked up, there are almost always seats available, particularly for singles, before the show. Usually somebody from Jersey chickens out. Uh, it's Jersey. That's uh, uh, that's the limelight. Now, what, what do you got there? Oh, shucks. Don't gun it. Oh, boy. And here I was going to do Ragtime Cowboy Joe. Crying out loud. Oh, well, oh, well, there's always a tomorrow. Oh, you can will yourself a better tomorrow, friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, this is old friendly Fred here. 
And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow at five minutes past ten for our limelight fist fight. Keep your knees loose. Don't do anything rash. I don't know. I don't know, come to think of it. I think the world has only progressed through guys that did a few, th- few rash things now and again. But uh, uh, if you're going to do something rash, give them a very low silhouette. Keep your behind down, okay? Uh, we'll see you tomorrow at five minutes. What do you mean? Why, what are you talking about? Well, that's a terrible thing. Don't look like that. Sorry. By the way, you have very pretty teeth, Don. For those of you out there, Don does not have false teeth. They're just very shiny. That's all. <laughs>